Rewatching Good TV Podcast Network presents The Sorkin Cast. Hey there, and welcome to the Sorkin cast dedicated to the works of Aaron Sorkin. This is episode 11 of the podcast. My name is Matt Murdock, and I am from sorkincast.wordpress.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can also find contact links and podcatcher links. And if you could take the time to leave me a review on iTunes, it would be very much appreciated. It helps this podcast stay more noticeable. Uh, to people who are Googling like West Wing or the newsroom or anything like that. Well, not Googling, but using the iTunes search engine. It helps me stay more noticeable in that way. Plus, if you write a review out and telling me what you like or what you dislike about the podcast, then I know how to improve the show. Now, I am pre-recording the first 11 episodes way back in June. You're hearing this, I think, like September 6th, perhaps. Uh, so I won't be able to thank you for your iTunes review until the 12th episode of the podcast, uh, which will come out the following week from this one. And because of that, hopefully during the time that this podcast has been running, you've been collecting your thoughts about all of the episodes that we've reviewed so far of the West Wing, and you've been submitting them as they came to you, and I will read all of that in next week's podcast. If you're listening to this when it first comes out, you still have a few hours, uh, maybe a day from the first release of this podcast in order to get me any feedback regarding the first 11 episodes of The West Wing or any of your thoughts about the podcast, and I will include them in next week's feedback episode. I'll have time to collect them and and record them at that point. Sorkincast at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at SorkinCast, or you can call the Rewatching Good TV hotline, 314-669-1840. Make sure to say that you're leaving feedback for the SorkinCast when you call that line, because I only have one line for multiple podcasts. And that's all of the business, I suppose, for the podcast. Thanks again for joining me. And we're going to talk this week, West Wing, Season 1, Episode 11, Lord John Marbury. That is the episode, and uh, lots of writers working in on this one, actually three. Patrick Cadell and Lawrence O'Donnell Jr. came up with the story. The teleplay was written by Patrick Cadell and Aaron Sorkin. The episode was directed by Kevin Rodney Sullivan, and it first aired on January 5th, 2000, viewed by an estimated 9.7 million viewers. And Geos.tv ranks this episode 89th out of 156 episodes. We tend to kind of agree with that assessment, definitely in the lower half for me. Uh, Here is your episode summary. Hostilities between India and Pakistan result in a mistrust of CJ's abilities with the press and for a former ambassador to the region to be brought into service. Meanwhile, Josh finds himself being deposed in regards to the Lillianfield accusations, which brings Leo's situation to the forefront of the staff's attention. And Zoe asks Charlie out on a date. One thing I want to say before we get into our walk and talk and our quick jabs, um, I think that kind of on a thematic level, this episode is, is mostly about expectations. 
and how uh, having high expectations can lead to problems or low expectations can lead to problems even. Uh, for instance, because like Toby expects that CJ can't be included, there's a lot of tension created there. And it's a, it's a problem. Um, they kind of get it resolved in this episode, but it, it still creates a, a lot of tension in this episode between Toby and CJ. Because the CIA is expected to be on top of things all of the time, and they are late in doing so this time, they, they drop the ball, no one notices what India is doing. And because Josh expects this deposition to be like any of the others that he has gone through before, he doesn't foresee the trouble that's coming. Mandy has expectations that Sam's idealism kind of matches her own in regards to Mike Brace. And I suppose you could say that there is an expectation by Zoe that her dating Charlie would be perfectly acceptable to her dad. Um even though that doesn't really cause a problem, but uh, again, there are expectations placed as to what that could mean for Charlie if he does so. I guess the final thing is is Bartlett and Leo having their own kind of opposing expectations about Lord John Marbury. There's a lot of expectations in this episode, as I said before. And I guess one of them that I mentioned, the whole Josh thing, you know, the way he kind of blows off the whole deposition, that's the subject of this week's Walk and Talk with Donna. You'll like it. It doesn't sound like I'll like it. Caddying? Yeah. It's great. Don't I just lug your golf clubs around? Well, it's good exercise. Of course it's good exercise. I'm lugging your golf clubs around. You'll be doing more than that, Donna. You'll be reading the greens. You'll be helping with club selection. Here he is now. Who, me? Joshua Lyman? Oh, man. Are you Joshua Lyman? Is this Claypool again? Mr. Lyman, you're being served with a subpoena to give deposition. Why do you let him in the building? Sir, if you just sign us to show proof of this thing, this is like the 43rd time. This is Freedom Watch, right? Yes, sir. Uh, you guys are real patriots. I hope this hasn't inconvenienced you too much. Being subpoenaed? No, why would that inconvenience me? Have a good day, sir. Yeah, thank you. Drop dead. That's what I do now. I'm a professional hostile witness. When I get to drive the cart... No carts. You don't use a cart? No. Real golfers don't use carts. Don't they also carry their own clubs? No. Would you pay me extra? No. You play in the winter? We'd wait until spring, but I'd want you to start practicing with that bag right away. Good evening, Miss Lanningham. How are you, Josh? I've been subpoenaed. Oh, I'm sorry, dear. Would you like a cookie? Yes, thanks. The president asked me to come by? The president just left with Leo. Where'd they go? Situation room. So there's some, a little bit of funny stuff in that one as well, but... Naturally, we always have our humorous quotes from the episode, what I call the quick jabs. Here they are. Through the Freedom of Information Act. What kind of information they're looking for? It has information about the investigation. It wasn't an investigation. I'm sure Josh will mention that. Did you bring a lawyer? He said he didn't need one. Oh, good. I like the sound of this. There's an India expert I want to bring in. Who? No. You guys are going to love him. He's a lunatic. He's colorful. He's certifiable. Who? Lord John Marbury, former ambassador to New Delhi from the court of St. James. Where do we find him? A psychiatric institution. He's colorful, Leo. You're really going to let him loose in the White House where there's liquor and women? We can hide the women, but the man deserves a drink. In the next few weeks, it's going to be important that the White House reassure Americans and the world that the president has a firm grip on the crisis and is working hard to defuse it. Yes. They're misspelling New Delhi. They put the H in the wrong place? Hey, I'm happy when they use an H at all. We'll fix it. 
Hey, Carol. We're fixing the H. Yeah. Hey. Mr. President. I'll take the Indian ambassador in the Oval Office. Yes, sir. And then if you could just ask the Secret Service to step in and kill me, please. Yes, sir. Zoe just walked right up to him and asked him out. She's a very outgoing girl. See, but a dungeon would have put an end to that. We learned these lessons the hard way. I think you're trying to cover up the fact that you're enjoying this. I'm not trying to cover it up at all. I'm a father in pain. Well, really, you're just the pain. Got all of that out of the way. Let's move on to clip one, where President Bartlett gets briefed on an Indian Army invasion along a ceasefire line. Bartlett, Leo, Sam, Toby, and Josh discuss the situation, but leave CJ out of the loop. Zoe asks Charlie out on a date. Sam talks to Josh about Josh being subpoenaed, and then Mandy talks to Sam about taking on a new client. And finally, CJ gets questions from the press about the India situation. Mr. President, 25 minutes ago, the Indian Army launched an invasion along the Kashmir ceasefire line into Pakistan-held Kashmir territory. Is it clear what India's objective is? No, sir. Sir, they committed the 4th Motorized Infantry Division, the 9th and 26th Infantry Divisions, and two other armored brigades, as well as four CVEs and two destroyers. All told? Approximately 300,000 troops, sir. In the last 25 minutes? Yes, sir. This was long planned. Yes, sir. All I'm trying to do right now, I'm trying to avoid making eye contact with the CIA director. Mr. President... 300,000 troops? I can't move my motorcade from K Street to Connecticut without it showing up on a weather satellite. We dropped the ball, sir. Pick it up again. Would you please? Any nuclear activity? We've obviously ordered intense surveillance. All right. I'm ordering the Crisis Task Force activated, and I want you to prepare to give me national security briefing. Thank you. Toby, the UN Security Council is meeting in an emergency session to try to effect a ceasefire. Well, I feel better already, Mr. President. How could we not have an ambassador in Pakistan? We were getting to it. For the moment, we're just talking about conventional weapons, right? Toby, how much do you know about India and Pakistan? I know that any war between these two countries that begins with conventional weapons isn't going to end that way. I'm going to take care of briefing the Hill. Yeah. Good evening. Hello. I'm sorry. Charlie and Mrs. Lanningham stepped away. Should I go back and wait in the... Oh, uh, no. We were just breaking up. Can I tell the room there's a full lid? Yeah. So, Charlie, do you ever get a night off? No, actually. It's too bad. No, it's all right. No, I meant because it'd be cool to go out or something. I'm sorry. With me? I've been subpoenaed. By Claypool? Under the Freedom of Information Act. So Claypool suing you for the paperwork? I'm being deposed at lunch tomorrow. Who are you bringing? It's a non-event. should bring a lawyer. I am a lawyer. <laughs> Seriously, you should bring a real lawyer. Thanks for the pep talk. No sweat. Sam, can I talk to you a second? Yeah. In your office? Yeah. Thanks. What's up? I'm thinking of taking on a new client, and I think it might be a problem for Josh and Toby, and I was hoping that maybe you could help smooth the way. Who? Hmm? Who's the client? Mike Brace. <laughs> Sam. You serious? Yes. Mike Brace is a Republican. You think I don't know that? This is just my lucky day. Sam, I think you are the one senior guy here who is more interested in getting things done than beating That's the other... That's not true, Mandy. Josh and Toby are just as committed. Not lately. The banking bill, the land use rider, assault weapons. You like Mike Brace. Mandy. I know. This is going to be an impossible sell. It shouldn't be. 
but it will be. I know. I've got a source at the Pentagon who says in the last few hours there's been massive troop movement on the Kashmir border. In the last few hours? Yeah. What kind of troop movement? Something like 300,000 troops and a few warships. 300,000 troops? Yeah. I think someone's having a little fun with you, Bruce. You sure? I was just in the Oval Office 10 minutes ago. Okay. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, night, CJ. Just small things first. I, I really feel like this whole Mandy thing was something just kind of thrown in there in order to get Moira Kelly into the episode, more or less, to give the actress some lines. It's hard to find a role for Mandy uh, when most of the White House is dealing with the actual problems and, and you then you just have Mandy who's trying to put a face on it. So I think that while this does end up telling us something about Sam by the end of this episode, it doesn't really say that much about Mandy. Um, it's hard to give her, I mean, it always seems like she's working against the grain of the staff, but you don't want to do that too much because why would they hire her if she's always working against the grain of the staff? So, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough situation to get the Mandy character involved in episodes, I think, for the writers. Uh, let's move on to the India and Pakistan situation. Now, this feels very real to me. Uh, I, I'm not sure if having the CIA not do so well in this situation was added for realism or if it was added in for Sorkin to say something about intelligence gathering in general, about how spotty it can be. Um, perhaps he was trying to say that the CIA is funded very well, but no matter what, it, it just is sometimes hit or miss. Or, or maybe he's even going to the extreme of calling having something like the CIA futile. But I, I do know that almost every administration has its problems with bad intelligence sometimes. So I'm guessing the idea is more for realism than for anything else. Now, Zoe and Charlie, there, there's a lot of good father jokes as a result of Zoe and Charlie uh, or Zoe asking Charlie out throughout the episode. Uh, but I think it also allowed Sorkin to comment on mixed races couplings. Uh, and, and that's something that I guess is actually still necessary to comment on in terms of the racial kind of tensions that we have today. It, it seems so unfortunate that it's something that uh, still seems applicable today. Uh, but I'll address more of that later on. Uh, I, it's still, it just, shocks me in the events of the last year how close-minded people can be uh, especially with the whole police brutality stuff and oh well uh, this isn't a political podcast even though it's about a political show uh, I don't guess there's really that much to say about the Josh deposition stuff yet but as far as CJ goes I, I gotta say that I was definitely shocked to see her being kept out of the loop um, now Playing the result, again, uh, the reasoning Toby did this makes me actually even a little more angry because, I, as you guys know, I am a C.J. Danny Shipper. So I was really kind of upset with Toby in this episode. Uh, but I could also see this being kind of realistic in terms of looking at it in terms of a, a conflict of interest in a, in a real White House, right? So I guess that that had to be addressed so that we could go ahead and, and get through that kind of thing and then 
feel better about CJ and Danny from from a realistic standpoint, I suppose. Maybe that's what Sorkin was trying to do with that. And I guess that's all I have for that clip, so let's move on to clip two, where CJ learns that she was left out of the loop. Josh gives a deposition. Sam talks to Toby about Mandy. Bartlett decides to reach out to Lord John Marbury for help. And Toby confronts CJ about why she was lied to. Hi. You know what this is about? Yeah. I stopped by your office before, but... I was at the reception. Yeah. Hi, CJ. What's going on? India sent troops into the neutral zone in Kashmir. The UN Security Council is going to try to negotiate a ceasefire, but we believe we're going to start to play a role in the next 48 to 72 hours. You can start to brief the press tonight, so I want you in on some of the meetings throughout the day. Leo. Oh, uh, including this one. This happened last night? Yeah. That's what you all were talking about when I walked into the Oval Office? I'm sorry, CJ, we... You told me the lid was on? You don't have to expect that sometimes. I got the question, Leo. You don't consider illegal drug use at the White House to be serious? Whoa. Almost tripped me up in that clever web of words. No. I would consider drug use in the White House to be serious. I wouldn't consider my investigation serious. And the way you know it wasn't serious is that I was the one running it. What prompted the investigation? Congressman Lillianfield held a press conference in which he claimed that one in three White House staffers used drugs. I was asked to discover what, if anything, might have caused him to say that. As I'm sure you're aware, the organization I represent is suing under the Freedom of Information Act for the records of your investigation. Yes, and I can save us all a lot of time by telling you that there are no records of my investigation. And they're healthier. Average lifespan is 57.7 years. The average rainfall. What kind of briefing is this? Toby, if we could just have another hour to prepare. Where'd you get this stuff? I swear to God, the Encyclopedia Britannica. I need a briefing. CJ, we're getting someone from state. Should get over it. Yeah. Listen, let me ask you something without your head exploding. What? What would your first reaction be to Mandy's working for Mike Brace? What do you mean? He came to her. She wants to work for Mike Brace? She's thinking about it. Good afternoon, Toby. Sam. Hey, Miss Lanningham. Is this a joke? You're not going to say hello, Toby? Yes, hello. Is this a joke? No. I don't understand. Toby. I'm in disbelief. What should I say your first reaction was? Disbelief. He's good on education, good on women's rights. Are you shilling for her? I'm not shilling. I'm just smoothing the way. Don't do that. She just asked me to take your temperature. And please don't do that. There's an India expert I want to bring in. Lord John Marbury, former ambassador to New Delhi from the court of St. James. Where do we find him? A psychiatric institution. Let's get him on a plane. Yes, sir. Anything else? Thank you, Mr. President. I was warned that coming to talk to you might be insulting to your professionalism. Why you wouldn't want to do that? I wasn't ready for the press yet. Could have told me that before sending me in there. CJ? I flatly denied it. I said I was in the Oval Office 10 minutes ago and nothing's going on. They don't think you lied to them. I know that. They think you lied to me, which is what happened. They don't know me. I'm from nowhere. I was just starting to get credible. I was just starting to get their respect. You know how long it's going to take me to get it back? There's a concern. Don't ask CJ. She doesn't know anything. There is a concern that you're too friendly with the press. Really? 
We know it's important that you have a friendly relationship with him. It's important for all of us. I don't disagree. Does this have to do with Danny Concanon? People see you with Danny? This is outrageous. It is this one time, and if we aired, it's on the side of you trying... You sent me in there uninformed so that I'd lie to the press. We sent you in there uninformed because we thought there was a chance you couldn't. I really felt for CJ during this part of the episode, and I definitely see your point. I mean, I can see Toby's point as well, but to a lesser degree. But we've already talked about kind of the conflict of interest that Danny and CJ's possible relationship could present, I guess. Um, Toby really let the hammer down on her, though, in, in, you know, the typical Toby kind of way, which made the whole thing a little tougher to swallow. And um, really made me dislike Toby for a few minutes in this episode a whole lot. Now, I talked about expectations at the beginning of this episode. Josh's kind of low expectations of this deposer is a great example of the theme of the episode. Um, But it also could have produced a real problem if Josh hadn't listened to Toby later in the episode and, and taken Sam along on the second day of deposing, right? I mean... Thank goodness uh, Toby just made Josh take him the next day or who knows what Josh may have done because he was about to go off on the guy uh, here. And if uh, that stuff had been sprung on him alone, I don't know how he would have gotten out of the deposition. And I, I guess the final thing I'll say about these particular clips is the talk about Marbury is funny, I guess. I, I feel like it kind of weakens the character right out of the gate, though, which, you know, by the end of the episode... I don't think that I was actually taking this character, Lord John Marbury, very seriously at all, which is a shame because the stuff that he does point out at the end of the episode about the tensions between India and Pakistan, I think they're pretty spot on. You know, I mean, Sorkin's putting the right words in terms of realism in his mouth, but he's turned him into such a blown up caricature even before we even meet the guy that it's, it's hard for me to take him seriously. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the next clip where Charlie talks to Bartlett about Zoe. Then Bartlett talks to the Chinese and Pakistani ambassadors. Sam talks to Mandy about Toby, then to Josh about Mandy. Bartlett talks to Leo about Zoe. (laughs) And then Sam and Josh find out what the depositions are actually about. Thanks for staying late, Charlie. Mm Mm-hmm. Mr. President, I was wondering if I could ask you a question. Sure. I was wondering how you would feel about my going out on a date with Zoe. I'm sorry? Well, Zoe was talking to me before, and she mentioned that if I had a free night, she... My daughter asked you out? Yes, sir. I should have locked her in the dungeon. I don't think you've got one, sir. I could have built one. Sir, if it's not too much of a problem... Charlie, you have picked the absolute worst time in the world to talk to me about this. I think he's here. Okay. Thank you, sir. Yes. Mr. Ambassador, it is crucial that we join together to bring about a ceasefire and then a pullback in Kashmir before this conflict takes another escalating step. Mr. President, we have every hope for your success. You do. However, I've been instructed by Beijing to inform you that under no circumstances will China allow India's aggression against Kashmir as it only intensifies the threat of Indian aggressors on our own border. Did you tell him enthusiastically? Yes. Did you tell him about the... I told him everything there is to tell him. He did not form to the idea. Let's go. I'm ready. Talk to him. I will. Do it enthusiastically. Okay. Talk to me about what? 
Mandy wants to take on Mike Brace as a client. Is there another Mike Brace? Not in the House of Representatives, no. She understands he's a Republican, right? Yeah, she's a pretty bright girl. Oh, I'm gonna kill her. So you're saying no way? Yeah, that's a big 10 for Yeah. The U.S. is committed to finding a reasonable solution to the dispute. With all due respect, Mr. President, it is not a dispute, but an illegal occupation by the Indian state. Whatever the language, I know that you will agree with me that we have to find a way for these two countries to exist together in a global community. That sounds very nice, Mr. President, but the people of Pakistan do not wish to exist in a global community with criminals. I'd imagine the Indian ambassador is going to say roughly the same thing about you. Be that as it may. I'm just saying... My problem is not that she's white, he's black, and she's a girl, and he's not. To say nothing of he's older than she is. She's 19, he's 21. Yeah, but a guy learns a lot in those two years. Okay. Is Leo McGarry an alcoholic? I won't answer that. Has he received treatment at a facility for alcoholism? I won't answer that. Has he received treatment at the facility for Valium addiction? He's not obligated to answer the question. Why not? It's irrelevant to your cause of action under the Freedom of Information Act in which you are seeking any and all documents relating to Joshua Lyman's investigation of illegal drug use in the White House. And we go see the judge right now. She'll sustain my objection. Mr. Lyman, in the course of your investigation, did you look at Secret Service files of the people you were investigating? There was no investigation. Did you look at any Secret Service files? Yes. Including Leo McGarry's? Yes. And I have a record here, which you would have had access to as well. It says... How'd you get that? It says, Leo McGarry spent 28 days in an alcohol and substance abuse facility called Sierra Tucson. This is a piece of paper obtained illegally. That's my problem. Your problem is to answer this question. In your investigation of Leo McGarry, did you discover that he was not only treated for alcohol addiction, he was treated for Valium addiction as well? Now, should we take that question to the judge and ask her about relevancy? We're going to postpone this deposition. I'm not nearly finished. We're postponing. You got a problem with it? Cite us for contempt. I, I don't know if there's much to say about Bartlett meeting with the ambassadors, except that it's probably realistic that nothing much would get done in these kind of impromptu meetings when they're scheduled, especially if the viewpoints are pretty steadfast. The whole thing about China, I guess, was bringing in the fact that this problem could become a lot bigger unless something gets done, right? And I, I cut a lot of the Charlie, Zoe, Daddy Bartlett stuff out for time, but the, but something that bothers me a little bit about the whole Leo conversation is that in the past episodes already, we've gotten the sense that Leo and Bartlett really know each other very, very well. Uh, and... I don't understand why Leo would even question whether Bartlett had any racial reservations. It, it it just doesn't seem very likely to me that Leo wouldn't already know that there would be no ra racial reservations in terms of Bartlett. Um, it seemed a little out of character in relationship to the kind of closeness that they've established between these two characters already. Um, so that just seemed a little bit unrealistic to me in terms of their relationship. Now, Sam is really kind of striking out as far as the Mandy request is going, right? Which I, I think that, again, points to a really good scene between him and Mandy later. But at the same time, even though he's not doing so well on the Mandy front, he is very valuable to Josh. I mean, he keeps Josh from perjuring himself because you know that Josh was definitely going to have to deny 
knowing anything about uh, Leo, or that he was at least instinctually probably going to say that and, and end up taking the fall for himself, which that wouldn't have done Leo any good. There's, there's been a few episodes as of late that show us that Sam is not just a speechwriter, but that he's a pretty darn good lawyer. Like you think about his arguments with Harrison in that shortlist episode. I mean, the fact that he just recognizes Harrison's writing from from going through documents of his in that unsigned note, it, you know, that that's saying something right there. There's going to be some later episodes also that will get a sense of just how good a lawyer Sam is. But I'm going to save that conversation for when we get there. Uh, and it actually relates to a flashback uh, kind of thing. But I like that Sorkin is starting to develop this side of Sam as opposed to just the naive speechwriter side of Sam, right? Or the idealistic speechwriter side of Sam. And it really seems like that whole Mandy request thing, again, is just to give Moira Kelly some lines in the episode. Uh, but it did define Sam, and, and we'll see that in the next clip. The one thing that bothers me about the whole request thing, and again, there's duality of characters going on with the whole Lord John Marbury thing, and then with Sam here too, because on one side, he's being this brilliant lawyer, and on the other side, it seems like he's just a babbler. He's kind of talking out the side of his mouth about you know something that makes common sense. It, it, well, here, here's my problem with this episode. Almost every character seems to be undercut for the sake of a laugh or, or something like that. It doesn't... It, there's no continuity of character. You have Sam doing these two different things, babbling out of the side of his mouth, talking about Mike Brace, and then being a really good lawyer and being really serious to Mandy later on. You have this Lord John Marbury who can talk out of both sides of his mouth, being a complete idiot, and at the same time being the smartest guy about India and Pakistan that we've ever seen. What, I don't want to criticize it too much because I know that the writers and the actors are all trying to get a feel for their characters still, uh, you know, they would have shot these first 11 episodes probably within the first six months of, of even getting together. So it, it, I, I guess I can, I can give the show more or less a whole season to find the character flow and the driving lines for the character and all of that. Um, it's not that much of an issue for me at this point, but it did make this issue, especially rewatching. It made this, uh, these these kind of dualities of some of these characters um, for the sake of serving a purpose for the episode, uh, a little bit frustrating, I guess I'll say. And then once again, we have this whole Lillianfield thing looming, you know, and now the threat has become even more real. But up until this point, each episode seems to be ending with the final result just being, let's get ready. Let's get ready. Um, I would much prefer that we, we, you know, let this be the straw that, that finally breaks the camel's back and, and let's take this thing head on and move on with it because I'm just kind of getting tired of reminding us that it's there. And it seems like it's more in the forefront now. So hopefully we'll be dealing with this really soon. And I guess that's all I have to say for that particular clip. So let's move on to clip four where Lord John Marbury finally arrives Toby apologizes to CJ, Marbury gives his take on the India-Pakistan situation, and Josh and Sam tell Leo what happened in the deposition. John, 
<laughs> Mr. President. Thank you for coming. How was your flight? Uh, yeah, intoxicating. Oh, I see. Uh, allow me to present myself, Lord John Marbury. I was summoned by your president. Yes. We've met 10 or 12 times. And William McGarry. Well, I thought you were the butler. So, um, tell me, how can I be of service to you? The world is coming apart at the seams. Well, then. Thank God you sent for me. His name is Lord John Marbury. He is the hereditary Earl of Sherlbourne. He is the great-great-grandson of a former viceroy and for 13 years served as the Queen's minister to either India or Pakistan. Lord Marbury is here to counsel the president. And if you think this is all starting to sound like a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, I don't blame you a bit. CJ? <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Toby's here. Okay. Hello. I feel that I didn't have the opportunity to properly articulate my argument. Either I'm a trusted member of the communication staff or I'm not, Toby. What was your argument? That was my argument. That wasn't your argument. It was my argument a little while ago uh, when I was arguing in my head. Are you apologizing? Yes. Well? What? Apologize. I'm sorry. God. I was trying to do it nicer than that. Whose idea was it? Mine. You were the one who said India has invaded Pakistan. Let's not tell CJ. I didn't say it like that. Why'd you say it? I said it nicer. Sam. Yeah. Did you talk to him? What? Did you talk to him? It's a bad idea, Mandy. Did you tell him about? No. I thought that you were the champion of bipartisan cooperation in the spirit Leo's of... Leo's in trouble. You're a political consultant. Your job isn't to end the fight. It's to win it. Now, you can work for us or you can work for them, but you can't do both. India and Pakistan have fought three wars in the half century since they have gained their independence with God knows how many skirmishes in between. It is about religion. And I can assure you, they do not share our fear of the bomb. What's going on? It didn't go well. Claypool's got a copy of your records from rehab. Either he got them from Lillian Field or the other way around. I was in a position where I was going to perjure myself, so Sam ended the deposition. Claypool's next step is to call a reporter, so I'm pretty sure you're going to read about this soon. So I wanted to ask you, does your family know? Yes. Because if they don't, Leo... They know. The... And the president? Yes. You ready for this? Yes. Then we're here for whatever you need. We just want to come in and tell you that. So in this section, there's these two scenes with Marbury that, and, and believe me, I understand that the concept of Sorkin is to have these overblown caricatures, right? But with these two scenes, it, it almost feels like a too much of a stretch of extremities for me. I mean, he shows up at the White House drunk, for crying out loud. But then he's able to give this long dissertation as to what's actually going on with the Indian Pakistan thing. I mean, there's a little bit too much humor and, and at the same time, too much seriousness that are just too close together. Um, and, and, and too much to the extremes, uh, for me to take this character in, in this part of the episode serious at all. I do think that the serious side of it was definitely on point in terms of realistically looking at that region and its instabilities. 
And and that part really fits well with the rest of the episode in terms of like, you know, the whole situation going on with the Situation Room and talking to the ambassadors and such. But if the guy is this smart, then surely he would know better than to show up at the White House drunk and to ask for a light in the Oval Office or to misremember who Leo is. Uh, and maybe that was even intended as Marbury just kind of teasing Leo. But still, despite all of it, I just wasn't really all that sold. And yet, at the same time, there, there's kind of a certain charm to this particular caricature of, of Lord John Marbury. Uh, if for nothing else than purely for entertainment purposes, I suppose. So, i really stretching <laughs> my, my whole definition of, of what Sorkin characters are. Uh, in order to accept Lord John Marbury just for entertainment purposes. Because, it, it, again, there's a duality in this episode where I, even Bubba and I talked about this in the very first episode, where there are these extreme stretches like this, which are total fantasy. And yet there are parts of the episode which are seem very real. And sometimes that's a little tough to swallow. I usually Sorkin mixes it a little better in episodes, but... And not to say that this is a bad episode. I don't believe that there is a bad episode of West Wing. But this one makes it kind of a little bit on the weaker side because it doesn't kind of give the cohesiveness. It stretches the whole thing between reality and fantasy a little bit too far. It's a little too Stretch Armstrong for me, if those of you remember who that was. Um, anyway, uh, let's go back to Toby. And uh, Toby made it back off my eat crap and die list with his apology to CJ, I guess. I'm glad that Sorkin made it difficult for him to do so, at least as far as Toby is concerned. That's another very real part of the episode for me. I I, I felt like Toby didn't have trouble apologizing because he felt he was right. But because as a writer, Toby is looking for the best words to use. I wanted to say it nicer than that. I wanted to, you know, that that's, that's so Toby. He's like constantly crafting a message, trying to write the best thing, to say the best thing that he can. Um, intentions are, are pure here. He truly wants to apologize to CJ, but he's trying to find the best way to do it. And th- that, that made me like Toby again. So I only disliked him for a few minutes in this episode. I also really love that, that Sam finally came down hard on something without it being all in the name of idealism because uh, this Sam coming down on this is the total opposite of the idealism that Mandy even calls him out on for being that way in the past. And we've all seen it in these past episodes. Um, I kind of give kudos to to Rob Lowe for doing a great job. He he gave his telling off of Mandy some real weight uh, because not only did he show the whole disgust with the fact that Republicans are coming after Leo, but at the same time, there was concern for Leo. And, and we've been shown that Sam truly admires Leo. And I, I felt that his, you know, his anger about the situation kind of bubbling over into him telling off Mandy uh, was fantastic. Now, as far as Mandy goes, don't get me wrong, I, I, I think that Mandy is, is trying to Report, support a Republican here that she felt was a quote-unquote good Republican. So I, I don't feel like Mandy's just stirring up a, a storm here to to try and grab money from a new client. 
but she did walk into a, a, an incredibly awful situation. Uh, her timing was really bad. But I, I think that this also shows kind of this realistic side of politics in our nation. And I, I love that Sam, as naive and over-idealistic as he can be sometimes, that he this time he came down on the side of loyalty to Leo. And, um, and he applied it properly to Mandy. Mandy's ideas are great, but they're probably not realistic. And, and it took Sam, of all people, to point that out, which I love. Now, the last thing is this whole Lillian Field thing I'm going to talk about, and I've already said it once in this episode, but I'm getting really tired of hearing this. It's coming. It's coming. Get ready. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? I mean, I felt bad for Leo. Don't get me wrong. I felt bad for him. Um, I felt, you know, I love the fact that, that Josh and Sam are there for Leo and that everybody on this staff has Leo's back. But at the same time, um, now everybody's on board. So let, let's just move forward with it. Please, please. Guess that's all I've got to say for that clip. Let's move on to clip five where Bartlett gives Charlie permission to date Zoe. Leo updates Bartlett on his own situation and Lord Marbury is invited to stay for a while to work on the India Pakistan situation. My hesitation about your going out with Zoe before, you know, it's not because you're black. I didn't think it was. It's not. I thought it was because I'm a guy. It is. I understand. Still, I want you to go out with her if that's what you both want to do. I'd like to. That's fine. Thank you, sir. Just remember these two things. She's 19 years old, and the 82nd Airborne works for me. Yes, sir. Also this. No kidding. You go out with Zoe, you're going to get your picture taken. There's going to be a lot of people not wild about the sight of you and the president's daughter. You know what to do with the mail, right? Yes, sir. Ah, oh, good. I want you all to meet John. Mr. President, before Lord Fauntleroy... Lord Marbury. Whatever. Before he comes back in the room, I wanted to tell you that Josh's deposition did not go well. And that the story will probably break soon. How you doing? I'm fine. Don't you ever forget the battles you fought and won. Yes, sir. I'm uh, back. Uh, and I believe there are many more people in the room. Excellent introducing your lordship. Uh, Mr. President, the uh, telephone call was from the British ambassador to the United Nations. He believes there'll be a ceasefire resolution within a few hours. That's what I'd heard. But all they got was two weeks. It's two weeks better than nothing. John, I was hoping you'd stick around for a couple of days and help us out. A few days, a few months. However long it takes is as long as I shall serve. Well, let's play it by ear. You're all frightened. As well you should be. Not since the Protestant Catholic Wars in the 16th century has Western society known anything remotely comparable to the subcontinent's religious malevolence. Uh, to a lesser observer, the intensity of the emotional frenzy is so illogical as to border on mass psychosis. But as has been said by kings and queens, uh, I am not a lesser observer. John, there's a quote from Revelations. I've and I looked and I beheld a pale horse and the name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. Are you frightened, John? Do you mean, do I think we can stop a war in the next two weeks? Yes. Yes. Good. 
haven't really addressed the whole Charlie Zoe situation. And, and the interesting thing for me is that as I look back and I watched this episode for the first time many, many years ago, I thought how ridiculous Bartlett seemed to be in regards to his comments about people not liking Charlie being with Zoe. And I, I guess I was kind of Sam <laughs> in terms of, you know, being naive, idealistic, you know, kind of being in this bubble. Cause I, I couldn't possibly imagine a world where interracial relationships were that much of a problem anymore. Um, naturally the events of this last year have, have manifested um, those kind of concerns again, I suppose there, there seems to be so much violence um, between races right now. It, it, uh, and again, I don't want to make this into a political podcast, but it's amazing how Sorkin has been able to hit on issues that sometimes you think are dated. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you realize that, there's this larger scope of the world that you weren't seeing. I I feel incredibly sad for myself that I, I turned, I don't want to say I turned a blind eye. Maybe I did uh, turn a blind eye to the problems of race. I, I'm, I'm a musician. I play blues music. I play with African-American musicians all the time. Um several that I work for are in mixed marriages. So I, I guess I just never really saw it as a problem, but all of these tensions with police and, and, and seeing things about profiling and all of the stuff that has come up over the last couple of years, um, really drew my attention to just this particular aspect of, of this story about just Charlie and Zoe about two characters. Um, I have no problem with uh, shipping Charlie and Zoe myself, so I shall. Um, but um, sometimes Sorkin can reawaken, you know, you you can think about problems again that maybe you didn't hadn't thought of before. And so I, I like the fact that this particular episode brought my attention to that again. It made me think about things again, because I have been thinking about that kind of stuff a lot lately. Now, as far as Jed giving Leo a pep talk, he doesn't really seem nearly as concerned as everybody else does, does he? I mean, he's he's kind of like just being this, I mean, maybe he's just trying to be like this strong friend, showing support for his chief of staff or Maybe he understands the politics of things better than we do or the rest of the staff does or, you know, he's he has a certain confidence in the outcome of the situation. But again, I will just say, let's get the Lillian field out in the open. Let's get it done with. Let's move on. Um, that's how I feel about it. How do you feel about it? Why don't you send me an email? Sorkincast at gmail.com. Or you can call 314-669-1840 or you can tweet at Sorkincast. And I mentioned what I liked about the, the Charlie Zoe situation. You know, to me, in retrospect now, that that's kind of one of the big things that, that saves my rating for this episode because this last bit with, with Marbury kind of ties together the extreme absurdities of his caricature. I, to be brilliant and bumbling in practically the same sentence of dialogue, uh, 
really irks me in terms of being realistic. The only thing that I will say about it is that you have to admire that Sorkin had the gall to present those extremes in the same scene, right? And will we see Lord John Marbury again? Yes, we will. Though, i got to be honest, I haven't watched uh, any of the... I'm watching these as I go along and then getting the clips and then writing up my notes for the podcast. And I honestly can't remember if we see him in the immediate future or not. So... I will have to see as well. Well, it'll be a more a matter of whether I'm gritting my teeth or whether I'm enjoying the episode, probably. And I guess that's all I've got to say about this episode. Let's move on to my episode rating. Again, I have a special 10-point grading scale that I use. You can find that at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Go look at it, and you'll understand where I get my ratings. As I stated before... This whole episode to me has a theme of expectations. And maybe that's kind of telling of my rating as well, because it, on the heels of In Excelsis Deo, I was really expecting to be blown away by this episode. Especially when you start off with this whole main India-Pakistan storyline, uh, starting out in the Situation Room. Yet, uh, I have to say, my expectations were let down a little bit. I'm only giving this one a 7.3. There's just too much of the stretching of extremes in this episode uh, within a character. And I understand we're all people. We all have different sides and everything. But very few of us uh, within the same span of two minutes can go to those extremes. Uh, I can because I'm an idiot you know, most of the time. And then I might say one little thing uh, somewhere in the middle. But uh, that, for me, is more of the exception than the norm. And, and this particular episode really made the stretching of extremes the norm. And, and I didn't care for that much. So, uh, once again, 7.3. Next week, we are not reviewing an episode. Next week, we are reviewing your feedback. You still have a day, I suppose to get any feedback in on these first 11 episodes of West Wing. I would love to hear from you. I'm also going to uh, thank everybody for your iTunes reviews, so be sure to get that in in the next day or so also, so I can include you in there. That's pretty much it. How do you submit that feedback? I guess you could call 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail. Please, again, make sure to mention that you're Feedback is for the Sorkin cast because I have one phone line that takes all of the feedback for multiple podcasts. And you can tweet at SorkinCast if you want to get a little more specific with me. Or if you have a lot to say, you can write an email to SorkinCast at gmail.com. I would love to hear what you're thinking about this podcast in general, what I can do to improve the show. Do that with your iTunes ratings. That always helps me. And remember, you can always go to the website, sorkincast.wordpress.com, to find all of that information. That's it. We'll talk about your feedback next week. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. Bye.